humans, hello humans, hello humans of the world. It's me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio here on lovely AM 950, talking to you from the bunker. That was a little bit of New England accent thrown in in the bunker in uh, Eden Prairie, Minnesota. I am thrilled to be here talking to you um, at a time that is incredibly busy for me. Since you last heard from me, I... Driven uh, 700 miles to Nebraska and back to teach about gray area thinking. And the week after next, I'll be on a plane to San Francisco again to train on gray area thinking. And then on top of that, I've been running a campaign for school board, which I'll talk about in the C block. Uh, Last night was the big candidate forum with 12 candidates. I'll talk to you about that in a second. All of this accounts for the fact um, that um, I couldn't snag a guest for today. I could not, sorry, but I I did put a feeler out, but I didn't get a reply. We'll instead have an encore interview from April of 2019. Don't worry, it's still relevant. It's going to be with Donna Minter of the Minnesota Peace Building Leadership Institute. And this flows just fine with our theme today about peace and peacefulness, okay? And so let's talk about that because that's what our featured idealist is about our featured idealist of the week. And really, that idealist is a name that's in the news every year around this time of year, in October and November, and I'm talking about Alfred Nobel, a Swedish inventor and engineer who died in 1896 and whose will specified that his fortune be set aside to fund the awarding of five annual prizes to, quote, those who during the preceding year shall have conferred the greatest benefit on mankind, unquote. We're talking about the Nobel Prize. The prizes established in Alfred Nobel's name are the following, the Nobel Prize for Physics, the Nobel Prize for Chemistry, the Nobel Prize for Physiology or Medicine, they just usually call it the medicine, Nobel Prize for Medicine, the Nobel Prize for Literature, which uh, I might add, Nobel specified would go to authors for of works of, quote, idealistic tendencies, although that was for a long time uh, interpreted as idealists, um, but has since been kind of broadened uh, to allow for uh, uh, some other kinds of authors. And then most importantly, and which bring me here talking to you, is the Nobel uh, Prize for Peace, the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, Additionally, in 1969, there was a fifth prize for economics added. The awarding of the prizes, as specified by Alfred Nobel in his will, is done by three Swedish organizations, which all award the prizes, all of the prizes except for the Peace Prize. That prize, which was announced yesterday, is conferred by a Norwegian organization, the Norwegian uh, 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 Nobel Committee based in Oslo. The first of the Nobel Prizes was awarded um, in 1901. In some years, no Nobel Prizes were awarded, as in the case of World War I and World War II. And in some years, the Nobel Prizes are awarded, like for chemistry or medicine, but in other years, the Peace Prize has been withheld. So, I mean, I've got to believe how honoring it is to be part of of the committee and of the of you know the Nobel Institutes in Sweden and Norway, and so they pay attention to what's going on in the world. 
Both the Peace Prize and the Prize for Literature are often the most controversial. But sometimes they're cool, like when Bob Dylan was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature in 2016, our very own Bob Dylan, who um, I would say did not I, – I don't believe he accepted it in person. I think he wasn't at all crazy about getting it, but eventually I think he did go and speak to the committee or made a, made a speech. In a microsecond of time, let me tell you a few things about Alfred Nobel. He was born in 1833 in Stockholm as the third son of a family that had eight children. Family was initially impoverished with only – and only Alfred and three siblings, all boys, survived past childhood. Alfred's father was an engineer and inventor and finally found prosperity founding a mechanical tool and explosives company in Russia in St. Petersburg, as it would be. Eventually, Alfred studied chemistry and became interested in how to make it easier to work with nitroglycerin, which someone else had previously invented. So he did not invent nitroglycerin. But in 1867, uh, Alfred Nobel found that combining nitroglycerin with an absorbent inert substance made it easier to handle the nitroglycerin. Okay, that's why... That's why... Dynamite <laughs> comes in sticks, okay, because it's infused with nitroglycerin but other stuff that's in, inert that you can, you know, kind of at least touch the stick of dynamite without it blowing up. By the way, the word dynamite comes from the Greek word power. Did you know that? There's that one fact for today that makes it good for listening to LE 2.0 radio. The idea of creating a prize for peace and other ways of making the world better all came about by an incredible mistake that was made about Alfred Nobel's death. And let me read it from uh, Wikipedia because Wikipedia has got it a whole lot better than me. And so here it goes. Quote, in 1888, the death of Alfred's brother, Ludwig, caused several newspapers to publish obituaries of Alfred in error. So Alfred's brother dies, but they think that it's Alfred who died. Uh, Wikipedia goes on to, uh, to quote, um, one French newspaper condemned him, Alfred, for his invention of military explosive, not as this commonly quoted dynamite, which was mainly used for civilian applications, and is said to have brought about his decision to leave a better legacy after his death. So in other words, a French newspaper is like, hey, we're glad you're gone because, you know, you made the world so much better even though Alfred was still alive, and that caused Alfred to decide, hey, you know what? I think I want a better le legacy than that. Um, the obituary stated, uh, the, quote, the merchant of death, is de of death is dead, and went on to say, Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. Nobel read the obituary and was appalled at the idea that he would be re remembered in this way. His decision to posthumously, posthumously, you know, after his death, donate the majority of his wealth to be found, to found the Nobel Prize has been credited at least in part to him wanting to leave behind a better legacy. And so on November 27, 1895, at the Swedish Norwegian Club in Paris, Alfred Nobel signed his last will and testament and set aside the bulk of his estate to establish the Nobel Prizes to be awarded annually without distinction of nationality. Um, so uh, currently, uh, the 
the the value of the of the Nobel Prize. Well, not currently. I, all I've got is twenty twelve figures, but um, the current value of the Nobel Foundation, what it has, was in twenty twelve four hundred seventy two million dollars, um, uh, which, according to Wikipedia, is about twice the amount of the initial capital taking in. So, in other words, the fund has grown. A lot. And I believe that if you get the prize, you get this wonderful, cool medallion as well as I think it's $600,000. At least that was the recent figure. So sometimes idealists are created because of how they want to be remembered. And wow, what a legacy. The most prestigious awards in the world did Nobel, Alfred Nobel create. Now yesterday, okay, the Nobel Peace Prize was uh, awarded to three idealistic recipients, an individual and two organizations. Now, remember, the Peace Prize out of all the Nobel Prizes is probably the one that is the highest – think of this – the highest award that a human on this earth can get. Think of that. So yesterday, uh, the award was given out. Peace Prize, and it was given to three, an individual and two other groups. Um, the individual, Alice uh, Belat- Belatosky, Belatsky, sorry, Bel Al Atsky. I'm getting it, Ellie. You were trying, okay? We practiced this, Ellie. We did do that. Is a, is a jailed Belarusian activist who began um, uh, with pro democracy activities in Belarus beginning in the early 1980s. Now, you may recall Belarus has been ruled by dictators. It's, barely, it's never had a democracy, okay? In, 18, in 1996, uh, Alice uh, Belotowski, uh was arrested and imprisoned on fake tax charges. He'd been, he got a re- released and been arrested and imprisoned several times since then, most recently in October 21. Um, uh, Alice Belotowski was charged with tax evasion. Again, they're trying to get him on tax stuff. And he is currently in prison in Belarus. All right. So it's not the first time somebody has been awarded Nobel Peace Prize while they were in prison. Um, the two organizations which share the Peace Prize this year um, uh, with Belotowski are a memorial, that's the name of the organization, Memorial. It's an organization that works to illuminate Russia's and the Soviet Union's totalitarian past, including the horrific crimes of Joseph Stalin, with the idea with the idea of talking about the past in Russia will prevent it from happening again, the horror of it. It doesn't look like Memorial's working out very well. In fact, Memorial was outlawed by the Kremlin last year. Guess what? That was – yeah. Is that a big surprise? The other organization that shares in this year's Nobel Peace Prize is Ukraine's Center for Civil Liberties, which has been monitoring and documenting human rights violations and war crimes in Ukraine since 2007. Back in 2007, Ukraine was not a democracy. And here's a little bit of a blurb that I got from the New York Times uh, dated October 7th, 2022 by Cora Engelbrecht and others, quote, uh, the committee, that would be the Nobel uh, uh, Committee, said they had chosen the three laureates because it wanted to honor the champions of, quote, human rights, democracy and peaceful coexistence in the neighboring countries of Belarus, Russia and Ukraine. 
It goes on to say, the New York Times piece, the prize was an implicit rebuke to Mr. Putin, whose tenure has been punctuated with violent crackdowns on dissidents and critics at home and whose 70th birthday was on Friday, that's yesterday, an overlap noted by several observers. Quote, on Putin's 70th birthday, the Nobel Peace Prize is awarded to a Russian human rights group that he shut down, a Ukrainian human rights group that is documenting his war crimes, and a Belarusian, Belarusian human rights activist whose ally Lukashenko has been in who whose his ally Lukashenko has imprisoned. Unquote. You, you're getting the idea, okay? That's a quote by Kenneth Roth, the former executive director of Human Rights Watch. He said that on Twitter. Okay, now you know more about the. For most of you, maybe some of you knew all this uh, about the Nobel Peace Prize and what you did before. And I hope you found that of interest. Okay, I think it was of interest. The idea that you thought you think that you would be remembered horribly, and you get a you get a, a you know a preview of that by a, a mistaken obituary, and then you go and you decide you're going to do something good with your fortune, which was a huge fortune back in. 1895, and and guess what? Now you get remembered as a benefactor for millions of people, billions of people in the world. So there you go. Okay, all right. We're gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna go to my um, uh, uh, encore interview of uh, of Donna, and you're gonna like her uh, greatly. Donna Minter of the Minnesota Peace Building Leadership Institute, and I'll talk to you on the other side of that about stuff. And we're back on AM 950 with LE 2.0 Radio. I don't know about you, but uh, that story about John Johnson, that's going to stick with me for a very, very long time. And it's proof of what happens when somebody is motivated to make a difference in the world. And I'm really thrilled because for my guest here now for the big interview, I have another human who is working to make a huge difference in the world. Please uh, help me welcome Donna Minter to LE 2.0 Radio. Hi, Donna. How are you? I'm great. Welcome to uh, the show. You are with the Minnesota Peace Building Leadership Institute or just Minnesota Peace Building, right? That's right. You're the executive director with them, correct? I am. Okay, and by training, you're a neuropsychologist as well, right? And I also do evaluations for the courts. Okay, all yeah. right. So I, and when I was back in a long day ago when I was a trial lawyer, I worked with neuropsychologists quite a bit. So um, – but we don't need to go there. So Donna, um, I wanted to have you on the show um, because your nonprofit is doing incredible work. And I'm going to assume some of our listeners have heard about the Minnesota Peace Building Leadership Institute, but why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Based um, in Minneapolis? Yes. It is based in Minneapolis. Tell us uh, what does it do? How long has it been around? Go ahead. All right. Well, we do um, trainings and events in the community that teach people very practical, productive, positive strategies strategies to transform psychological trauma into nonviolent power. 
We've been doing this work since June of 2010 when we offered our first five-day strategies for trauma awareness and resilience training in Minneapolis. Okay, so let's um, so let's talk a little bit more. I mean, what you just said is a mouthful, okay? Let's say it in practical terms, okay? What does it really mean for, for you know, ordinary person listening? Well, that, that's a great question because oftentimes I have people say, help me understand the connection between psychological trauma and peace building. And so this is what I say, that when terrible things happen, our peace has been stolen from us. And most people want to build peace back into their lives. Okay. So what we teach at our trainings are very practical, productive strategies to help people build peace back into their individual lives, their family lives, and their communities. So this could be anything ranging from on the, on the macro level, uh, 9-11 and, and how our country was affected by that, to is it like family divorce or – um, you know, sexual assault or um, something like that. Yes, absolutely. Or being marginalized at work because somebody wanted to mob you. Right. Okay. Right. So it's all of those different things. Right. And the training is designed to help participants get to a place where they are back to base, where they're where they have personal peace again. That's that's right. And then to be able to take action to not only recognize if this has happened in their own lives, when the terrible things that have happened in their own lives, but to be honest with you, most people come to our trainings because they are in some kind of helping role or what they want to do is to be able to be aware of the people in their own sphere of influence and how they can be useful. Okay. Um, All right. So, Donna, you know, LE 2.0 Radio is about idealists idealism and idealists and you are an idealist and we'll get to that later on in the show but so what I'm hearing from you is that you are you're minting and refining idealists out in the community do I have that right that's a that's a good way to talk about it absolutely okay. yeah we're really working to empower them give them strategies you know it's it is about awareness it's also about education, but then it's also giving people very practical things that they can go out and do right away. They're going to make a positive difference. All right. So give us some of those practical things. Um, one example that I, I practice myself on a regular basis is I started thinking a while ago about all the people that I see on a regular basis and I don't know their names. Ah. And I thought, how would our relationship change if I introduced myself and asked them their name. Very non-Minnesotan. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I, I love this place and I wasn't born here, but I love this place. I've adopted it. And so it's a little risky. It feels a little risky sometimes to do that. But I have met the most wonderful people that I see regularly, the, the bank teller, the parking lot attendant, the janitor, the, you know, person that works in my neighborhood, the police officer, that I, I, I step out of my comfort zone and just say, you know, I see you regularly. My name is Donna. What's your name? And I've never had anybody say, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> they lean into me. When I take the risk right. to lean in, they lean back. Okay. And then 
Then when I see them regularly, I say, "Oh, Kumara, how are you today? How is your family? Oh, Donna, it's very nice. Good to see you." He's the the parking lot attendant at the bank where I where I go. Right, yeah. right. Part of my problem is I f- would forget the name, and and you know, but but I, what you're so I do a training around human inclusivity, and part of that is about the need to see people. Okay, and really, just getting to know somebody's name and being able to address them by their name is part of that. I mean, that is about. So, um, so we go ahead. What were you going to say? No. Okay. I'm... So, so we have. So you bring people in, and you train them on how to be more, not only more aware, but more active, and you give them real practical strategies. Okay. That's right. And, and how do, how long does the training last? How often do the trainings occur? Is there a cost associated with those? Yes. Well, we have a number of trainings. We have the five-day training that happens. We're in May. Um, the next time we're offering it is um, Monday through Friday, May 13th through the 17th in Minneapolis. And we still have room in that training, so we'd love to have people come. What time of the day? Um, it's an all day. It's all day from 8.30 to 4.30. On the final day, it ends at 1 o'clock. Um, but we have the biggest we do um, uh, for that is 26 people. But we okay. still have room at this point. And then another and, – tra- and, and what okay. is that training called? That is called Strategies for Trauma Awareness and Resilience or the STAR training. Okay. That's the acronym right. STAR. Yeah. Okay, and and hold on while we're doing this. People can go to your website and learn more about this. Absolutely. So what is the website so we can get that? mnpeace.org. Okay. So minnesotapeace.org, mnpeace.org. Okay, and then they, there's a schedule of all the events yep. that people can find. Okay, all right. Um, and uh, so we've got Star coming up, and then you've got LunaFest coming, right? We do. And we're, we've only got a few seconds before we have to take a break, but give us the very quick uh, – we'll come back and talk about LunaFest. What is it? Just at least let's like, get that out. It's a LunaFest Minneapolis is a women's film festival that we put on – as a fundraiser um, to be able to raise funds for our racial and economic equity scholarship fund and to support our programs as well. Okay. All right. And where will LunaFest take place? At the Riverview Theater in South Minneapolis. On what day? On April, Wednesday, April 24th. Okay. Beginning, the festivities began at 6 o'clock. The films begin at 7. They go till 9. And then for um, people that want to, there's an after party across the street. Okay. All right. Well, when we come back, we'll talk more about LunaFest and more about Minnesota Peace Building Leadership Institute. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug. I've been interviewing Donna Minter, who's the executive director of Minnesota Peace Building. Um, when we come back, we'll talk more about their work. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. And we'll be back in a minute. Thanks. And we're back on AM 950, LE 2.0 Radio. Um, you're listening to me, your hostess with the mostest, Ellie Krug. I know, I just made some people smile when I just said that. I've been interviewing Donna Minter from the Minnesota Peace Building Leadership Institute. Donna, before we took our break, you talked about LunaFest, which, of course, I just love the name LunaFest. And it is a film festival um, with films about women. Yes? That's right. Or by women. Mm-hmm. And... Um, 
is it – I mean is it all about activism or some of the films like comedies or or what it, are what are our films? There, It's a real mix. OK. So you'll be inspired. You'll laugh and you'll also go, oh my gosh, I never heard about that kind of experience that okay. um, women go through, or some women go through. So it's um, – this this year there are eight short films by okay. Foreign About Women – um, LunaFest was actually created 18 years ago by the owner of Luna Bars, the okay. sports nutrition bars for yep. women. Sure. And they offer LunaFest to nonprofits around throughout North America to put on for a fundraiser. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so this is going to happen on April 24th. That's a what day of the week? It's a Wednesday evening. Okay. Beginning at what time? The festivities begin at 7. I mean, sorry, 6 o'clock, and the films uh, begin at 7. At the Riverview Theater. That's oh, right. Okay, over in Cedar Riverside. And Actually, that, it's in Longfellow. Oh, sorry. Yeah. You're right. Sorry. Longfellow. Yep. And um, and then uh, you can pay a little bit extra and get the VIP treatment, which means going across the street to the wine bar. The Riverview Cafe. Yes. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. So if people want to do that and if they want to find more about that, they can go to your website. Again, give us that website. org. Okay. Now, um, and before we talk about you, I just want to finish talking about your nonprofit. Um, this is something that you you essentially help build, right? Yes. So give us uh, give us a little bit of the origin. Well, um, I – Because you are not by nature a nonprofit executive director. No, no. Okay. My, my background, my training is um, – I'm trained as a licensed – I am a licensed psychologist and I – my rather than being a specialist in, or an expert in doing psychotherapy, my specialties have been in neuropsychology yeah. and then also forensic psychology. And I still practice uh, forensic psychology. I do evaluations uh, with defendants when attorneys or judges are like, this person has a mental illness, illness and they don't understand what's happening in court. So I'm asked to come in as an expert. Yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. So you, 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 you and I have both been in the same realm in terms of dealing with judges and lawyers. Yeah. And, and okay. So that's your background. So how the heck did you get into running a nonprofit? Well, as most people could probably imagine in both of those spheres, I saw so much unhealed psychological trauma. And I am a believer in psychotherapy and individual family and group psychotherapy. And I started thinking, you know, there's just a lot of really basic information about um, psychological trauma that if we could just give people the words and the language, there are many things that people in their own Mm -hmm. spheres of influence could do to create – begin to create a healing community, healing culture. And so I talked to my mentor. This was back in uh, 2008. Um, I talked to my men- my psychology mentor from when I was in graduate school and said, you know, Carolyn, I'm looking for a new way to use my my uh, my psychology expertise. And she just said to me, you got to take STAR. And I was like, what? Okay. I don't know what STAR is. And so – but I did what she told me to. Um, and I went down to Virginia to take Strategies for Trauma Awareness and Resilience, the five-day STAR training okay. where it was created. And I took it for my own professional development because I needed the continuing education. But halfway through the week, I'm like, 
I've been to a lot of trauma trainings, and this one's really different because it defines trauma much much more broadly, includes right. collective as well as individual traumas. But it also then integrates concepts like like restorative justice, nonviolent conflict transformation, peace building, human security, and very broadly defined spirituality. And I'm like, nobody's doing this other places. So I said to them, you know, I'd like to bring this back to Minnesota because I bet you there are a few people at least that would like to take this training. So we put on that first training in June of 2010, and I had no intention that it was going to go beyond that. But after that training, the folks that came just said, you got to do this again because we're, we're a diverse group and we all agree on this. So that's how it started. And now we've trained over 2,500 people. Here in the Twin Cities. Here in the Twin okay. Cities, all yeah. Right. Well, that's – you know, I continue to believe that most people think that trauma is – you've got to have blood or, or guts. And they don't um, – that mo- many people – and that was me until I came to understand it, you know – Many people don't understand that trauma can simply be you witnessing a parent hitting another parent or even a wit- or witnessing a parent screaming at another parent or a parent just going missing. I mean all of that is in the realm of trauma. Absolutely. So, but, so we have to educate people about that and I, and I firmly believe that more people who understand that that causes trauma to their children, once they understand that, that some degree, some percentage of people will stop engaging in that behavior at least in front of their kids. Right. You know, and of course that's very important. Well, let's talk about you, okay, because you are um, – you know, uh, you are – there's no question you're an idealist. No one goes down this road of – taking a training and then converting some five-day experience into a nonprofit. And you told me off the air that your nonprofit has a budget of about $200,000, which by the way, with all the work that you're doing, I'm just going to tell you is an astronomical efficiency. Um, that you, you, Your nonprofit should have way more money than what it's doing. Um, and so no – but no one goes down the road of having a training and then becoming an idealist and, and creating a nonprofit. So what made you so idealistic? What, what, what was it in your background, uh, Miss Psychologist, um, <laughs> that, that got you here? I would say that um, I – well, I was raised in a home of two – I guess they're practical idealists as well. Tell me about um, that. My um, father – my mother and father are still living in northern Indiana. Um, He's 90 and she's 87 and um, he was a family physician before he – well, he still is but he's retired now of course. And both of my parents um, knew that with – they didn't talk about it this way but basically with all the privilege that they had that they were responsible – in, in trying to make it as fun as possible to give back to the community. And so I witnessed that. My father and mother are still involved in um, community projects. Um, my dad was um, kind of through the back door a big supporter of getting the Boys and Girls Club uh, really in a good place in very, northern Indiana. Okay, very important. Um, very important. Very important. He because he saw in his medical practice all of these families that had so many needs, 
and besides medical. And he said, we have to give these, especially the families that are marginalized in our community, we have to give those kids some place safe to go where they can have role models beyond their family because that is the key to resilience. And so he actually, this was years ago, he actually went to the Boys and Girls Club, which was a struggling nonprofit in our community. He went to them and he said, any chance you need a board member? And they just were like, oh, my gosh, this physician from the community. And he became a board member. And um, because of all his contacts in the community, he has helped them raise millions of dollars. Okay, but you saw this. I witnessed that. You watched this. Right. Okay, and see – I have – I mean the whole show is about bringing idealists on and the thing that I continue to hear time and again from folks is that there was some modeling in their life about people who went above and beyond just simply you know, living their lives but decided that they were going to do something bigger um, or that they were just – in 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 small even in smaller ways had open and and broad hearts. So okay, so you what witness that, and then what makes you what makes you tick? What makes you get up every day as an idealist now? Well, when I first after I took the star training and I decided and I told the folks in Virginia where it was created. I want to bring this to Minnesota. I, it was like – you can ask my husband. I was just like driven. I have to do this. I, and the plan was to do it one time. And I um, I just was like, I let's see what will happen. And there was a lot of anxiety around that because I would never done that before. So I put together a PowerPoint um, presentation and may, set a goal that I would talk to any group – over the course of about three months, those first three or four months in 2010, that I would present to any group, whether it was two people in a living room, and I did that, or 100 people in some kind of presentation a hall, and just to get the word out about this. And I think it was also, you know, I've also been a person that loved to set goals for myself. I've been a backpacker and a hiker. And so after we did this first training, the person that I brought from Virginia to be the prime, she was the, she's the, was the director of STAR that did, she was the primary um, trainer. She found out that one time I had climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and she goes, this is your new Kilimanjaro, Donna. And I was like, you know, you're right. Uh, the difference is uh, there's no summit, you know. <laughs> it's a lot of summits that I keep. So, and and after that first training, when it was so well received, um, I by people from we had five different racial and ethnic groups uh, represented, five different religious traditions represented at that first training, and they said, "You got to do this again." I have people in my community that would like to take this this training, and I was like. Wow, I, I hadn't thought about that. But then I said, you know, if my community is hungry for this, let's feed them. Let's feed them so they can be empowered to go out and do this. Well, you know, that's not a given though. It's not a given that's that right. you would decide that you're going to feed feed the community. It's not a given that you – I mean you are um, – no doubt. I've been an executive director of a nonprofit. It is a lot of hair pulling. Here you are talking about yet another fundraiser, yeah. okay? And listeners, by the way, please go to the Minnesota Peace Building and Leadership Institute website at 
lunafestnpeace.org. Go there. Please check out LunaFest and, and please go. And if you can't do that, consider at least making a donation to the nonprofit because I've got to tell you, with all that they're doing, $200,000 is bare bones. It is, it is barely you know, what is necessary to run a nonprofit of the degree that what you're trying to do, Donna. Well, Donna, we're running out of time. We've run out. But I just wanted to tell you, I've really enjoyed talking with you. And thanks for coming on LE 2.0 Radio. And most of all, thanks for being an idealist. And thanks for working to change the world. Okay. Thank you, Ellie. I we appreciate it. Just loved having you. So I've been speaking with Donna Minter, the executive director of the Minnesota Peacebuilding Leadership Institute. Um, please check out their LunaFest um, and uh, please learn more about this wonderful, important organization. Um, it is idealism at work. When we come back from the break, um, we'll do my C block where I'll talk a little bit about my work. Thanks. Ellie 2.0 Radio. All right, C-Block, talk about my work. Okay, so, um, yes, last night, no, excuse me, Thursday night, was the forum of the 12 candidates running for the District 112 Eastern Carver County Schools School Board. Uh, There are four slots that are open on a seven-person board, so this is... Whoever gets elected, if they all get elected together and think alike, you know, can form a block. And and so um, the uh, you know League of Women Voters put this event on. It went for close to two hours. Now, some of you have heard me speak publicly. You've heard you probably some of you have gone to my training trainings, and you know um, I'm not too bad. Okay, I'm I, I I'm not like running around with a big head, but. You know, my trainings are very well received. But that's because I can talk in greater than 90-second sound bites. And that's what this was last night. I am not very – trust me. I am not very good with 90-second sound bites. And and last night, you know, they said, well, we're going to pick people randomly to do – You know, everything here, we're going to ask everybody the same question and all that kind of stuff. And last night, excuse me, Thursday night, it was the the question, first question was, you know, opening statement, give us your, with a whole 90 seconds to give an opening remarks. And randomly, who'd they pick? Me, as the very first person. And I got to tell you, I mean, I had some things prepared in my head, although I had not written anything out to read from because I don't like doing that, but I probably should have. And I don't think I did that really great of an opening statement. And of course, that caused me to think, oh, man, you got to do better, Ellie, uh, than what you did. Well, anyway, you know, again, a number of different questions back and forth. And eventually it got down to a question about – uh, school board policy about books and materials in the library and the media center. You know, what should be the school board's policy about that essentially was the question. And, you know, uh, other people got that question before I did. I was probably 
towards the tail end of uh, answering that round of questions. And of course, we heard the, well, you know, we heard some answers. Well, you know, it's really important that the parents have control, you know, over what their children read, which I don't necessarily disagree. Okay. But the, the inference from that was, well, maybe books shouldn't be in the library. And other people are like, well, we'll leave it up to the you know, the librarians and the teachers, which I, I think, of course, is really great. But by the time it got to me, you know, I'm thinking, hold on a second. Let's just deal with the elephant that's suggested by this question. And I said, I did. I said the inference your question suggests is whether books should be banned and whether the school board, you know, should have a say in banning books. And I said, absolutely not. I said, no books should be banned. And, and I believed that on Thursday night, and I believe it right now, of course, and and I said, um, and I went on because there had been some talk about, you know, representation and that it's important for children to read um, about their history, and I just went to say on, you know, we have a history, you know, in our country, you know, of not allowing children to learn about their history, and I said that, you know, you start banning books and that's going to further marginalize children. I'm paraphrasing. You can actually go to the Minnesota League of Women Voters website and you'll be able to see the whole thing. It was videotaped and all that jazz. But I got very passionate in my answer about, um, you know, books should not be banned and it's important that children be able to understand their history. I mean, I got very, very passionate. In fact, more passionate than I probably should have gotten. And I drove away from the event uh, with my um, beloved sister sending me a text telling me, wow, you had one strong answer there. <laughs> and, and of course, you know, how many, how many people did you turn off by that, Ellie? I don't know. Um, and so this goes, you know, and, and who knows? I mean, I have and I, I but I, I will tell you, I've been getting emails from total strangers you know, since last night, just saying, you know, that they that they were online, they watched it. There were like 180, 200 people watching it online. There was no live audience, and um, you know, saying, "Hey, I liked what you had to say," and and all of that. And 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 frankly, you know, my view is, this is who I am. Okay, I mean, I am passionate. I am, um, because we got to be passionate about things. Idealists, I mean, come on. You know, and by the way, passion is contagious. It is. Um, and again, you go to my trainings where I've got, you know, I've got, I've done gray area thinking somewhere between five and 600 times. Maybe it's more than that at this point. You know, I've got it down. I know what to say. I know when I'm saying it, all of that stuff, but it's all sincere. And everybody, you know, it's not like it's rote for me or for the audience members. But boy, I'll tell you this 90 second soundbite stuff, you know, and they're showing it, they're holding the card up 30 seconds left, 15 seconds and stop. I, it's just, it was tough. It was very, very difficult and tough. And we shall see. I mean, it's good, you know, get to know who you are. Get to know that I am passionate. You know, and one of the other attendees, uh, other board people, um, you know, who are running, who um, I like and who has been talking me up and I've been talking that person up, texted me afterwards and said, because I said, you know, in a text, I think it was too strong. 
And their response back was, uh, you got to be strong for education. You got to be strong for the, for the kids. So, um, yeah, that's me. Healthy <laughs> Krug. <laughs> oh, the first and only, first and last attempt at political office. Trust me, I'm not going to be doing this again. Uh, and we'll see what happens a month from now. Um, you know, uh, if you're in District 112, make sure you vote. On November 8th. Okay, a big thanks to my producer, Patrick, uh, who had to do math again today, but he always comes through and does a good job. A big thanks to you, my listeners. I really appreciate that you tune in. Sorry again about, you know, the repeat interview, but hey, for many of you who've never heard it before. And by the way, that's just sometimes the way it works, okay? Now, between now and when you hear my voice again, go out, do something good for someone, make the world better. Okay. Talk to you next week. Thanks. Bye-bye.